Earlier this week, a friend of mine posted a picture on his Facebook page of a little sandwich board sign outside a cafe somewhere on the sidewalk. And the sign said, as, you know, cafes are now the place where one dispenses wisdom from. So (laughs) the, the sign in front of the cafe said, your beliefs don't make you a better person. Your behavior makes you a better person. And lots of people liked the picture. And I liked it. And I think on some level, that pithy saying might actually be a pretty good summary of what Paul is trying to get across in his letter to the church in Rome. Don't get too hung up on the matter of whether you are correct in your understanding of the teaching or the law or the nature of God. Don't worry too much about your beliefs. Concentrate, rather, on how you actually live your life, especially how you live your life in relationship to other people. How do you behave? That's what we're trying to figure out. And even though I liked this picture, and I think the saying holds a lot of wisdom and does remind me in its way of of the teachings of Paul, I wrote in a comment that I didn't think that the wisdom was uh, totally complete because it remained focused problematically in my mind on the question of whether or not I am a better person. My beliefs don't make me a better person. My behavior makes me a better person. Tra-la-la. I'm a better person. I just, I don't know who would care or notice that either my beliefs or my behavior made me a better person. Christian teaching asks us to consider the relationship between beliefs and behavior Not for the sake of our own betterment, however. For the sake of the world. So that the world may become a better place. And not I, as an individual, may become a better person. The narcissism encapsulated in that pithy saying is uh, reflective of the larger narcissistic tendencies in our own culture. And maybe just in human nature. We tend to be primarily concerned with ourselves and our own position in the world. As disciples of Jesus, we have another option, another way to walk, another path to choose, which is the path of selflessness, the path of self-giving, the path of willingness to bear the burdens of others for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. This is revealed to us in Jesus himself, who, in this morning's gospel passage, reveals to his disciples that his salvific destiny, his saving plan for humanity, is that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer at the hands of religious authorities, and he must die. Peter, needless to say, is not psyched about this plan because Peter is invested in Jesus as Messiah in a way that reiterates Peter's desire to be a better person for himself. If I have found my Messiah, then my outcome will be a good one. But Jesus says to him, this is what has to happen. And when Peter says, no, no, Lord, God forbid, this must not happen to you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is a line too little used in the church, in my view. 
And he follows it by saying, you are keeping your mind on human things and not divine things. There is the difference laid out for us. Are we concerned about ourselves, our own protection, our own advancement, our own achievement, our own good outcomes? Or do we have it in mind to make choices that contribute to a better world for others, and particularly for those who have less than we do? That also is a primary focus of Paul's teaching and the wisdom revealed to us in Jesus' own life, who lived as a vagrant beggar. If we are to follow Jesus, we must also make the same choices for the sake of the world and for the sake of our truthfulness to the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus. If we think Jesus has anything to teach us, then we have to accept that suffering is part of our salvation. Now, raise your hand if you'd like to suffer. Oh, Vance Frost, way in the back. (laughs) With a big smile on his face. I don't like to suffer. I don't know anybody who does like to suffer. But somehow, this wisdom is presented to us, and we have to deal with it. At our 9 o'clock service, the family service, last week, we conducted an exercise in which we imagined what it might be like to be the body of Christ. Again, referring back to Paul's letter to the Romans in which he talks about the body having many different parts and many different members, each with its own function and value and purpose and quality. And so we assembled a whole bunch of people on the floor, adults and children, like people making the form of a giant person all made out of other little people, about 18 feet tall. And uh, one person was the hair, which I, was, I thought that was a nice detail. And um, we talked about how Paul gives us this image that although the singular body of Jesus of Nazareth died and is gone, we collectively now make up his body on earth. And frankly, by extension, the church teaches us this as well, all of humanity. All human beings are one body. And we've now come to understand that it's not just humanity, but really all of creation is one being, one body, of which each of us is a part. Therefore, the truth that was true for Jesus about his saving destiny, his salvific plan, that it must include his suffering and his death and his resurrection, is also true for us as his body now. If we want what God promises, we have to be willing to suffer which is another way of saying we have to be willing to let go of what it is we would like to cling to in terms of our beliefs and our behaviors and our religious identity. Peter wants to keep Jesus just the kind of Messiah he would like him to be. And Jesus says, I have a different plan in mind, and it has to happen. So the suffering that Jesus willingly endures for the sake of the world the burdens that he bears for the sake of the world become ours when we willingly take them up as he did we join in his salvific purpose and we make the world a better place not only for ourselves but for others one of the great resources of Christian wisdom is a collection of writings from the third century, and it's called the Sayings of the Desert Fathers. And these were people that lived out in the desert in Egypt, 
and they conducted very ascetic lifestyles. They, they, they lived very poor and close to the bone and studied scripture and, and lived a life of deep prayer. And people would seek them out for wisdom. And over the decades and centuries, the things that they said were written down and are preserved, and you can order them on Amazon right now. And one of my favorite sayings of the Desert Fathers instructs us in how to live as Christians, mindful of the suffering that the body must undergo to fulfill its salvific plan. This particular Desert Father says, we have chosen to put down the light burden of condemning ourselves and to pick up the heavier burden of condemning others and justifying ourselves. It was true for Jesus. It was true in the third century. It's true today, and it will be true tomorrow. If we are the body of Christ, we must imagine that we are able and be convicted that we are willing to bear one another's sorrows and sufferings and the world's sorrows and sufferings and to pay the price of that suffering so others don't have to. And not only so that we as individuals may become a better person, but so that the world may be made a better world just the way that God meant it to be. Amen.